Well, turn, if you would, to Habakkuk. Let's spend some time just looking uh, in Habakkuk. You know, Thanksgiving is one of those things, gratitude is one of those things that you will find in almost every context. So if you want to investigate overcoming depression or anxiety or developing contentment or how to be a better giver or how to worship God better, it doesn't matter what context you're talking about, you will inevitably read about gratitude and thanksgiving in that context. So it's, it's almost like the medicine that's too good to be true. If someone's saying, this medicine cures everything from cancer to a common head cold, you would say, that's too good to be true. But gratitude is that. You find in the Bible, it's just absolutely everywhere. And of course, gratitude is not some sort of its own entity. If you have it, you have this sort of autonomous power. Gratitude is a mindset of faith. It's a heart of faith where the Christian with gratitude understands, I do not deserve the grace of God, but he has saved me. He has forgiven me. He has made me his child. I am one with Christ and I am now united to a generous God. And because I'm united to a generous God who is overabundant in all his blessings and grace towards me, then obviously I'm going to be a person marked by gratitude and marked by thankfulness. So it's really a heart of faith, the way saving faith looks out at the world. And specifically with Christian gratitude, Christian gratitude, I think, is what I like to call otherworldly. In other words, the world watches Christians be thankful, and the thankfulness of the Christian makes no sense to them. So they can understand us being thankful for a raise or thankful for the obviously good things, but the scriptures are filled, as we're going to look at tonight, the scriptures are filled with bad things happening to people and believers giving thanks to God for those bad things. And the world looks at that and says, there's nothing to be thankful for in that. But we are thankful because we have a faith that is not of this world. We have a faith that comes from a sovereign God who stands behind all things, both good and evil, working all things together for the good. And so the, the gratitude for the Christian it shouldn't be something that's just completely in lockstep with the world's gratitude, but should be something that looks very strange and very different in the eyes of the world. And I think Habakkuk is a great example of this. And I'm going to read sections of Habakkuk this evening, and we're just going to kind of move through the whole book. I'm going to give you kind of a, a summary and an overview of the whole book. But I think Habakkuk is a great example of this. Um, the book of Habakkuk was written sometime shortly before the first Babylonian invasion of Judah, which happened at 605 BC. And the, the events that were taking place in the government was that Josiah, who was a godly king, just died in battle, and he was replaced by the wicked king, Jehoiakim, which would be something like going from George Washington to Mussolini. <laughs> He's just undoing all the godly reforms. I mean, we love to read about the reforms of Josiah. Look at that reformation. Look at these new laws, new policies. This is just a wonderful time to live under the reign of Josiah. And then he's dead, and this Jehoiakim guy comes in, and he's a wicked man. 
And so it seems like in, in one moment, justice reigns, and another moment, injustice reigns. And so Habakkuk actually begins the opening four verses that we're going to read with, and it's sort of like Habakkuk is saying, it's really hard to be thankful when injustice is just running rampant. It's really hard to express gratitude to God when it seems like God is so distant from us. How can you be thankful? So he, he lists very reverently, is what, one of the things I like about Habakkuk, very respectfully, he lists these complaints he has, these, these outcries he has to God. So look at verse 1. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, how long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. So if you go through here, there's some overlap, but I think you'll probably isolate four different outcries that Habakkuk has. Number one, God's not responding. It's hard to be thankful if you feel like God's just completely ignoring your prayers. The righteous, number two, are forced to witness violence. So I get up in the morning and I open the front door and I see violence. I see violent men. I see bloody men. How can I be thankful in the face of violence? And number three, injustice is rampant. You know, you're dragged off to court and that's okay. I'm innocent. The law is going to defend me. That's what the law is there for. And instead you're condemned. And so justice is completely rampant. And then the fourth outcry, righteous are oppressed. So Habakkuk's looking at good and godly men who are just being oppressed. They're being afflicted. And so he's wondering, God, where are you? What are are you doing? Are Are you involving yourself in any of this? And God responds right away in verse five. And look at what God says. God says to Habakkuk, look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if, it, if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. There's your answer. I am doing something about this wickedness, Habakkuk. I'm raising up the Chaldeans. It's an older name for the Babylonians. That fierce and impetuous people who march through the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs, they are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originates with them. Now, that's a reason to be afraid of someone. Who's the source of your authority? Oh, I am. I define what's right and what's wrong. So God's telling Habakkuk, Habakkuk, I am doing something. I'm raising up a nation that is even more wicked than Judah is, and they're going to come in and they're going to judge the oppression and the wickedness that is taking place. There's your answer, Habakkuk. Now, it's hard to imagine anyone receiving this answer from God and saying, oh, thank you, God. (laughs) That is just such great news. So you're going to take our wicked government and judge it by replacing it with a more wicked government. I mean, that is reason for thanksgiving. You're going to take our wicked president, our wicked vice president, and replace it with, you know, Vladimir Putin and a Kim Jong-un, you know. Man, that's that's just great news. I mean, you're going literally from bad to much, much worse. But that's God's answer. God's answer is, I'm dealing with this, 
by raising up the Chaldeans. And so Habakkuk's going to respond to this. And you look down at verse 12, Habakkuk begins his response to God's response. And a lot of people overlook this, but the first part of his response is actually one of gratitude. Most people act like Habakkuk just goes right into a complaint about God's response. But the first part of his response is actually one of gratitude. And then after Habakkuk expresses gratitude, then he essentially says, this sounds like a crazy plan, God. (laughs) So here's part A of his response in verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We will not die. In other words, you will preserve the remnant. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. I think that's a gratitude statement for Habakkuk. You have appointed the Chaldeans. Now I know Habakkuk is saying, you have appointed the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to come in and to correct the wickedness of Judah. That's a good thing. But, as he's going to say, How can you correct evil with the greater evil? Look at verse 13. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Why have you made men like the fish of the sea? Like, He looks over the earth. Humanity is like a bunch of disenfranchised schools of fish just wandering about without a leader. Like creeping things without a ruler over them. The Chaldeans bring all of them up with a hook, drag them away with their net, and gather them together in their fishing net. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. So it's, you know, it's like the problem's going from bad to worse. There's oppression in Judah, And now there's going to be even greater oppressors, oppressing the oppressors (laughs) who are coming in from Babylon. You know, how could a righteous and holy God, which is really what he's asking in verse 13, how could a holy God correct evil by evil men? How could he correct evil with a crooked stick? And so Habakkuk desperately wants an answer to this. And so I love in, um, in chapter 2, um, in verse 1, he says, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. So I'm going to climb up in this watchtower, this rampart that overlooks, and I'm just going to wait for God to give me an answer. And I don't think there's any disrespect here. I think this is determination on the part of Habakkuk. God, I need an answer from you as to what you are doing. And God's response in chapter 2, as we're going to see, is basically this. Look, Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith, and the wicked will live by their pride. The righteous who live by faith are going to be protected by God. The wicked who live by pride are going to be crushed under the weight of their own pride. The Babylonians, in their pride, in their self-made arrogance, are going to capture people, and I'm going to see to it that those very people they capture will rise up against them and destroy them. In other words, don't think that the Babylonians are going to get away with this. 
Don't think that their pride and their iniquity is going to stand. Yes, I'm raising up a more wicked nation to judge Judah, but don't think they're going to get away with it. I'll, I'll deal with them in my time, Habakkuk, which is what God says starting in chapter 2, verse 2. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. In other words, nice big letters so the one running with this message can read while he runs. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarry, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. So it hasn't happened yet. The vision hasn't been fulfilled. Babylon has not begun yet to judge the wicked. But when it happens, it will not be slow. It will be swift. So get ready, Habakkuk. And then God says in verse 4, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him but the righteous will live by his faith. That's the key verse of Habakkuk. The proud one, his soul is distorted. There's something wrong with him. But Habakkuk, you're not of that. The righteous will live by his faith. The proud and the righteous. Furthermore, verse 5, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol. He is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. So God's describing the Babylonians. They have this insatiable appetite fueled by their pride, and they're just marching around the earth, and they're just gathering people that don't belong to them, and they're just accumulating all this through their lust of pride. And at the end of verse 5, it says, and collects to himself peoples, and notice this in verse 6, will not all of these, speaking the people that the Babylonians will capture, will not all of these take up a taunt song against him? even mockery and insinuations against him and say, woe to him who increases what is not his for how long and makes himself rich with loans. That's what pride does. Pride takes out a million dollar loan and says, I'm rich. (laughs) Look at all this money I have. Well, you realize that money is borrowed money. And if you don't pay it all back, what's going to happen? Someone's going to come knocking at your door and say, that money belongs to me. And God's saying that's what's going to happen with the Babylonians. They're, they're accumulating to themselves power. They're accumulating to themselves wealth. And they're getting deeper and deeper in debt because of their pride. And the creditors are going to come calling. He says in verse 7, Will not your creditors rise up suddenly? And those who collect from you awaken? Indeed, you will become plunder for them. I'm going to deal with the Babylonians. Yes, this greater evil in some sense than Judah. And they are going to be crushed under the weight of their own pride, which should be a lesson for you, Habakkuk. Don't walk in the way of pride. Walk in the way of humility. Because the humble will be preserved. The humble is my remnant. The pride, the prideful will be crushed. And so that's God's response to Habakkuk. But if you look at verse 20 of Habakkuk chapter 2, this reminds me of the lesson that Job learned when God showed up and talked to Job. So God shows up and talks to Job, now he shows up and talks to Habakkuk. And it says in verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. At any given moment, really, that's all God ever has to say to us, right? (laughs) God, what are you doing? 
I'm in my holy temple, be quiet. (laughs) I'm holy, I'm absolutely sovereign, so you better believe I care more about evil than you do. I care more about injustice than you do. I love the victims of injustice more than you do. I'm more detailed and intricately involved than you could possibly imagine. I reign from my holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. And that is always the best reason to give thanks to God. And be silent reminds me of Job placing his hand over his mouth, right? God's spoken. I'm just going to back down. Let me be and stand silent before God. Now, Still, as clear of an answer as that is, I don't imagine most Christians, if they receive that answer from God in a counseling room, would walk away and say, well, that that calls for a Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) Um, We're being oppressed. God's going to find greater oppressors to judge the oppressors. And, you know, we'll inevitably get dragged off into captivity. But God is in his holy mountain. Let all the earth keep silent. That's reason for gratitude. I don't think that would work for a lot of people, but why does it work for Habakkuk? That answer is sufficient for Habakkuk because Habakkuk is a man of faith. If you don't have strong faith, when God gives you an answer to suffering, it's not good enough and you keep hunting for an answer. But when you have strong faith and God says, this is my plan whether you like it or not, and by the way, I'm sovereign reigning in my holy temple, The man of faith, the woman of the faith says, that's all I need. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you. And so look at Habakkuk's ultimate response here as we close. Look at verse 16 of chapter 3. After God responds, I mean, he tells Habakkuk what he's going to do. He reminds him of his sovereignty. And here's Habakkuk's response. I heard and my inward parts trembled. Now, this tells us that gratitude doesn't mean you just have to feel rosy and happy all the time. I mean, Habakkuk is distraught by the news of the Babylonian invasion. My inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones. And in my place, I I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade. God's answer means I have to wait until there is a violent, bloody invasion that takes place. That's hard. Maybe it's something similar to doctor just gives you a terminal diagnosis. You can find gratitude, but it's still hard. Apart from a miracle, apart from God changing things, you're still looking at that deadline that's approaching. So Habakkuk's got to wait for that. But then look at this determination in verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flocks should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls. So basically, you summarize all that. He's saying, even if the cattle doesn't produce offspring and the crop doesn't produce a harvest. Now, the promised land was known as a land flowing with what? Milk and honey. Milk comes from cattle. Honey comes from bees. Bees come 
or thrive under the pollination of crops. So milk and honey, crops and cattle, what's Habakkuk saying? No more milk and honey. (laughs) No more land of blessing. Even if the promised land becomes a barren land. Verse 18, yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. Remember when God described the Babylonians as their strength originates with them? That's not going to go too well because it's built on pride. Habakkuk says, the Lord is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet. Remember years ago when I was in Israel seeing an ibex just sort of scamper up the side of a mountain. And it was that really shale, shaley um, stone that if you or I tried to climb up the side of the mountain, we'd just keep sliding down it. Or if we did, we'd be exhausted by the time we got to the top. And you see these ibex, who are relatively weak animals, just sort of scampering up the side, up to the top. I mean, not even breaking a sweat. And that's what God's saying here to Habakkuk. He has made, or Habakkuk's saying to God, he has made my feet like hinds feet. God is going to help me overcome whatever mountain stands in my way by faith and makes me walk on my high places for the choir director on my stringed instrument. That's an interesting end. (laughs) I'm going to turn this into a song, a song of rejoicing, a song of thanksgiving, even if I have to do it through determination because things are going to get so bleak and so dark There's going to be no fruit on the vine. There's going to be no cattle in the stall. We're going to have different governors and even more wicked governors than we have right now. But I'm going to determine to rejoice in God, my salvation. So this tells us that Thanksgiving is not seasonal, right? I mean, we celebrate it seasonally. But if you look at your life, it's not like when things are going good, lots of Thanksgiving tragedy strikes, no thanksgiving. For the man of God, the woman of God who walks by faith, thanksgiving is always in season, no matter the circumstances, because God never changes. He is absolutely unchanging, no matter the tumultuous story we're going through, history that is unfolding, he is unchanging in his goodness, and therefore his people are always giving thanks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would continue to give us the spirit of Habakkuk. Lord, certainly our individual lives can be fraught with repeated troubles, and even tonight, as we heard in the testimonies, uh, experience of loss. Um, But Lord, to compare ourselves to even Habakkuk's day, when the whole world seemed to be on fire and everything was falling apart, uh, to see his expressed determination to accept your answer and rejoice in your goodness as an example to us. I pray that this year we would thank you, God, for the many good things. You have just blessed us abundantly. But Lord, there are no doubt burdens that we bear and um, weights that we carry that we have yet to thank you for. Bring us to a place where we can come to the end of Habakkuk and we can repeat Habakkuk's prayer.
and a spirit of gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen.